0: Church, we've got some announcements for you. Easter at Fairfax is April 17th, and we've got four great services planned at 8, 9:30, 11, and 12:30. Now is a great time to start praying and thinking about who you're going to invite. It's been 7 months since you responded to our Afghan Relief Fund, and we just want to give you a big thanks for
1: that. Each month we're able to deliver these needed supplies through the help of an amazing delivery team, and we would love for you to be a part of that. If you're able and interested, we would
0: love for you to sign up on our website. We would love for you to join us on Saturday, May 21st for our global 5K. This year, we're partnering with Children of Promise, which is an incredible child sponsorship organization. Families, this is going to be a great day to bring the kids. There'll be a fun run in addition to the 5K. If you're interested and want to sign up, you can visit our website. Finally, May 25th is our night of worship. I love night of worship because it's one of my favorite ways to connect with God. We would love for you to bring a friend, come with your small group, or if you already watch online, we would love for you to have a night of worship watch party at home. So May 25th, mark your calendars. Well, that's all we have for you today, and we
1: hope you enjoy the message.
0: I know that a lot of you have been following the tragic events that have been taking place in the Ukraine. And um, this is actually the global day of prayer uh, within our movement, the Church of God, um, for uh, Ukraine. And uh, so we're going to offer a prayer for that. But I I just want to let you know before I do that that uh, we actually have a number of churches that are in the Ukraine, some amazing. Uh, pastors and leaders that are have have stayed and are um, putting their own lives at risk to help folks to either um, get out of the Ukraine or to find a safe haven in the midst of that, and um, in, and in just in some really really dangerous spots and. And uh, so we're, we're going to be, I know a lot of people have been asking, like, how can we help? We want to help. We've been hearing this. And, and uh, we're establishing um, a Ukraine relief fund that um, actually is going to go to folks who are on the ground, who are providing food, shelter, clothing uh, for folks that are in um, really tragic situations. And um, through the help of our German church, the the churches that we are connected to in Germany, uh, they have made some uh, connections that will allow us to actually get resources right to the people in the Ukraine. So if you want to be a part of that, uh, you can just go to our website. And and, um, in the normal way that you give, there just will be a drop down and it will be the Ukraine Relief Fund. And I encourage you to do that. I just every dollar will go directly to folks who are helping. So let's pray. God we're just so thankful for um, your presence, and as Mary Callie was reminding us of today, that in the midst of uh, leaders and 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 um, political leaders and folks who are entrusted with power that often do not steward that well and 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 hurt folks and do not bring good into the world, we are thankful that we serve the king who is over all kings and over all of those who are in positions of leadership, Lord. And we we pray that you would be at work in the midst of this tragedy, that you would protect, that you would provide, um, that those who are uh, in the midst of this and and serving others and putting their lives at risk, Lord, that you would protect them, that you would protect their families. We pray that we as a church can be A small part of responding to the need that is so huge that is there. And so we pray today, along with thousands of other congregations um, that are part of our tribe, Lord, we pray uh, your grace and your peace at work in the midst of this situation. In the name of Christ, we pray. And everyone said, Amen. All right, we have a special guest who is with us today. Um, Maquette Denny is the founder of Teach Haiti. Uh, which is an amazing organization that provides high quality education to really the least of these um, folks that would not have the opportunity to to get that. It changes the trajectory in many cases of their lives and the opportunities that are presented to them. And Teach Haiti is um, you know the organization that's on the point. To manage the resources that we have sent down, uh, part of our Renovate uh, project, we've sent down $100,000 to help to rebuild homes that were devastated by the earthquake that took place in Haiti um, in August of 2021, just 12 short years after a massive earthquake that hit the country uh, that was devastating as well and uh, so it's it's a privilege always any chance we get to have Maquette here and so she's here to give us an update on kind of those rebuilding projects so would you welcome Maquette Denny to the platform. Maquette, welcome. We are so glad. Every, every time that you're here, we're just so thankful. We, feel like, uh, we hope that you feel like this is home, and uh, we feel like this is your home away from home, uh, and so it's great to have you. Uh, before we talk about the rebuilding projects and all of that, I know that you have a special guest who is uh, with us today, so I want you to introduce her and tell a little bit of that story.
1: Good morning, FCC. I bring you really warm greetings from <laughs> Haiti. It was Haiti when I left on Thursday. But it's really good to be here with you. And um, I have the privilege of having Valentine. Would you please stand up so they can see you? Um, in 2009, we had a donor who decided to give some money to support Children, students who were close to finishing high school but probably would not finish because of lack of funding. I had a friend of mine who had a school in in Port-au-Prince. I contacted him and I said, do you have any students in your school that might be kicked out because of money? He said, oh my goodness, I have a long list and by next week I need to do some cleaning because we cannot keep this many students because they haven't been paying. And then I told him that I was here to sponsor five children through Teach AD, students who had good grades, good model citizens. And, um, and so he brought Valentine as part of the five students we would be supporting. And when he went to call Valentine in her classroom, she was in tears thinking this is the day I will be, get kicked out of school because she didn't know what was happening. And when he said, no, someone is here to meet with you. You're not being kicked out. Don't worry. And she was able to breathe. And um, she met me, and I told her about Teach Aidy. And I am just so grateful to tell you today she's a teacher. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. is work. She's been a wonderful, wonderful ambassador for Teach Aidy. She has helped her little brother to go to college, who is now an accountant. You know, like every organization has a poster child. She is my poster child <laughs> for TJD. She embodies really what we stand for. And I'm very grateful because it's all because of people like you who looks at one child and said, you deserve to have a better life. And I'm so grateful because of how generous you are to help those who are suffering and give them a better life. So thank you so much for being part of this program. Yeah.
0: So, yeah. So in August of 2021, an earthquake hit Haiti. And as I mentioned, uh, 12 years after a massive earthquake that took so many lives. And uh, so many other things going on in Haiti as it relates to the government and instability and all that. But talk a little bit about the impact that this earthquake uh, had on the country.
1: Um, As you know, like 12 years ago, we lost 300,000 lives in less than 40 seconds. Um, Still today, people are still trying to rebuild their lives. The trauma is still so real. And just August 14th, we had another major earthquake. It took place in the rural um, part of Haiti, in the the southern part of Haiti. And this one claimed over 2,000 lives. Um, Although we are very grateful, it's not 300,000, but one life is too many. Um, a lot of these people, they had so very little. Um, some of their homes were just so, um, I mean, they, were, they didn't have homes. A lot of them had like just little hearts to live with and now they've lost everything that they had. And it's been really hard um, when I contacted, FCC actually contacted me right after the earthquake to see how we were doing and my goal at that time was to provide immediate relief, like food. And, and so FCC um, sent some money, and we were able to buy food, backpacks, and even give some of, um, some of the um, families some money so they could get their kids to go to school. But the major, um, our major goal was to be able to help them repair their homes, and I'm just so very grateful to be able to do that as a result of what you've given to us.
0: Yeah, and I think we have a picture actually of maybe one of the homes that is going to be rebuilt because uh, the families of a number of the students I know were directly uh, impacted by this. Talk a little bit about what this project looks like, the scope of it, and even the number of families that will be impacted.
1: So um, because we are an education program, we are not a relief organization, but then because the Teach families were directly affected by the earthquake. We had a number of teachers. I did not even know we have that many teachers coming from the south. And so when we kind of met with them to see how they were doing, how their families were doing, and they were telling us how they've lost pretty much everything. And at that time, we really wanted to push forward to really help them as much as we could. This home is one, uh, my special education teacher at school, this is her mother's home. And um, as you can see, they are still living in that place. You can see there is like a curtains, there is a table inside. Um, that's what they are living. That's where they are living currently. Um, and so this is one of the homes that will be rebuilt. Um, we are partnering, we partnered with an organization called Tear Funds International, and they do relief work, they do rebuilding. And so we want to make sure that the money that you've given it's being used effectively and um, so we are partnering with tier funds. They will be the one to be doing the rebuilding for the families. What they do, they use foremen and masons in their community. They empowered them by giving them a job, and they can rebuild their home. So you're not only helping these people to have a roof over their head, but you are also providing jobs to these masons who have not had any jobs since pretty much the earthquake. So it's really a domino effect, and I'm very grateful to to be part of that and for you to be able to help us doing that. So thank you so much for that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And... um... The number of families, you said the number of families that will be impacted or the number of homes that will be rebuilt is what?
1: So we have 39 homes that will be rebuilt in the south and a couple of the families had migrated to Port-au-Prince, so we're going to have 10 more homes. So about 50 homes homes. will be rebuilt. People, when it rains, they will be able to just breathe because rain will not be all over them. The tarp will be removed because they have like little babies, two-year-old and just drenched when it's raining and it's really horrible so it's going to give us relief knowing that their homes is about to be rebuilt and it should take um, less than two months we think it's going to take to wow. rebuild all of the homes wow. so we are wow. very grateful
0: Wow, maquette, we are so thankful that you're with us yeah. today and we feel so um, just so appreciative that we can partner with you knowing that this project will happen, homes will actually be Rebuilt the funds will be used wisely. So, thank you for stewarding that so well. And thank you for being here. Thank you so much. It's good to be here with you. Thank you. All right, Maquette and uh, some others, I think, are going to be leaving now. They've got to do some testing, they're traveling, and so some of you understand all of that. uh, that stuff that has to happen when we travel. So we're in the second week of this series that we're calling A Journey to the Resurrection. And it's based on eight chapters in Matthew, the last eight chapters in Matthew, chapters 21 through 28. And uh, last week we talked about uh, the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. That's in chapter 21. A lot of people don't realize that because Palm Sunday traditionally falls the week right before Easter, of how much happened between Jesus' first entrance into Jerusalem, that triumphal entry, and uh, the time when he goes to the cross and is resurrected. And that's what we're going to be looking at over these eight weeks. And today we're going to move on to chapter 22. And chapter 22 begins with this interesting statement. Jesus spoke to them, to them, again in parables. Now anytime a chapter starts by talking about them, you have to answer the question, Who is the them that this is talking about and to know who the them is in this case you have to go back a chapter to chapter 21 and you find out that the them that Jesus is telling this story to are the scribes, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, uh, the religious insiders who are questioning Jesus authority. To do the kingdom stuff that he's doing. So he's just thrown out the money changers from the temple. And he said this shouldn't be happening in my house. Declaring who he is. He has been healing people. He's been casting out demons. And the religious leaders are asking. Well what authority do you have Jesus. To do all of this. And implicit in their question. Is the belief that they are the stewards of all things related to God's kingdom and that everything that has to do with the kingdom needs to revolve around them, that they are the stewards of the kingdom. And as they ask Jesus this question, Jesus in essence says to them, you know what? Your question reminds me of a story. And which is always often what Jesus did is to tell a story, to tell a parable that helps to get across a spiritual truth. And this is the parable that he tells, starting in verse two, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. And he sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business." So there's this king whose son is getting married, and he wants to throw kind of a party of a lifetime, this huge once-in-a-lifetime kind of banquet feast. And when the banquet is prepared, the king sends out servants to tell those who have already been invited and already RSVP'd that they're going to come. To the banquet, that now's the time. Like, Get your wedding clothes on. In many cases, it's going to take a day or two travel to get here, so it's time to to get your wedding garments on, to start to make this trip, and to show up at the party. In fact, it's interesting that not much has changed in the 2,000 years in terms of like invitations to big parties like invitations to big events like typically when there's a big event uh, first there's a save the date that goes out like we want you just to put this on your calendar then there's kind of the formal reservation that goes out uh, and uh, and then people RSVP and say yes I'm going to be there and usually when you get closer and closer to the date whatever it is there's little reminders that go out like the dates getting close don't forget come it's going to be time to come to the this huge, amazing event, and then people show up at the event. People come. But in the parable that Jesus tells, when the messengers go to those who have been invited, they got the, the save the date, they got the invitation, they RSVP'd, they said they're coming, they ignore the messengers, and they refuse to come to the party. Now these landowners and business owners in the parable who refuse to come to the party clearly represent the religious leaders that Jesus is telling this story to. These religious leaders who uh, in this time and in the past have ignored the messengers, the prophets that God has sent to tell them about the kingdom and are now ignoring the messenger Jesus who is saying it's time to come to the banquet feast it's time to come to the party the kingdom has come the kingdom is here the kingdom is all around us we sing these songs all the time that's what Jesus came to tell everyone like the kingdom is now the kingdom is here and once again the religious leaders are ignoring the messenger and in this case eventually put him on a cross now this is where the parable shifts And Jesus begins to paint this beautiful picture of God's grace that clearly the religious leaders have forgotten all about. They've lost sight of. And this is what Jesus says. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners, invite the banquet uh, to the banquet, anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets. They gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, I think the parable teaches us four things about God's grace. Let me just kind of unpack that today. One is this, that God's grace is absolutely, completely, totally, undeniably undeserved. What would have been most shocking to the religious leaders about Jesus' parable was who ended up at the banquet in the parable, in the story. Like They would have completely understood that the landowners and the business owners would have been invited to a banquet thrown by a king because they were VIPs in the community. They are the kind of people that get invited to those kinds of events. So they would have totally understood that. They were the kind of people who typically were invited to the banquet of a king. They had earned their invitation because of their wealth. They had earned their invitation because of their power. They had earned their invitation because of their influence in the community. And the religious leaders would clearly have identified in the story. Like everybody, when you read Jesus' parables or you hear Jesus' parables, like people identify with certain characters in the story. The religious leaders, without knowing kind of where Jesus was going, they would have clearly identified with the landowners and the business owners because they felt like they had earned God's favor by the way that they had lived their lives. Like they had earned an invitation to the banquet. They had earned the right to experience the goodness of God, the blessing of God, because of the way they had lived their lives. They saw themselves as being more moral, more righteous, more religious than most other people, and therefore they deserved the good things from God. But the idea that the king would send the soldiers out on the street corners to invite anyone and everyone To the banquet would have been unfathomable to them. Now the term street corners literally means where the ways cross. Commentators say that it's the term for the place where a major thoroughfare would come into a city. And where where that major thoroughfare kind of entered into the city. They would build these kind of town squares. These kind of public squares. And from these public squares would be all of these streets that would fan out into the city. And these public squares were like the gathering spot for the city. Like everyone would gather in these public squares. Um, The rich would be there. The poor would be there. The Good would be there. The bad would be there. The moral would be there. The immoral people would be there. Everyone would be in those public squares. So when the king in Jesus' story says to his servants, Go into the public squares and invite people. Bring everyone there to the party. It's clear what Jesus is declaring. He's declaring that everyone is invited to the party. Everyone is invited to this kingdom feast that God is throwing for us. The rich, the poor, the good, the bad, the moral, the immoral. Everyone is invited. He's declaring that there is no standard, no prerequisite that you have to meet to be invited to the party. The invitation is not earned. It is an act of grace. Now, some of us need to be reminded of that because... We have come to believe that somehow we do not deserve the good things of God. Maybe because of some decisions we've made. Maybe because of some choices that we've made. Or some things that we haven't done. Or some things that we have said. That somehow we do not deserve God's best in our lives. And so we keep sabotaging the good things God wants to do in our life because we feel like somehow we don't deserve it. And there's probably some of you that are kind of at that place right now where there's this sense that I don't deserve the good things of God. And so you find yourself, when good things begin to happen, somehow you sabotage them because there is this sense that I don't deserve those blessings. I don't deserve those good things. And the reality is that you don't deserve those good things. Nobody does. That's what grace is all about. It's a gift. So stop sabotaging the good things that God is trying to do in your life and embrace the grace. That's one of the things that Jesus is trying to teach us in this parable. But others of you, it's not that you don't feel like you deserve God's best, God's Good things, the good things of God. You need to be reminded of this because you're bothered by the good things that God is doing in someone else's life. Because you don't think they deserve it. Like you see good things happening in someone else's life and you don't think they deserve it. In fact, you feel like you deserve it way more than they deserve it because you are living a more righteous life, a more moral life, a a better life. You're making better decisions than they are making. And so you're kind of upset that good things are happening in their life. And that's what the religious leaders that Jesus is talking to thought and Jesus is saying to them through this parable, you got to let go of that because God's grace is totally, completely, undeniably undeserved. It is a gift that no one deserves. Second thing is this. God's grace is a calling. What's important to see in this parable is that everyone in the story is invited to the banquet, Like the only difference between the first group in the story and the second group in the story is that the first group that's invited refuses to come and the second group that is invited says yes to the invitation. It's a great reminder that God's grace is always this complex tension between God's calling and our response. See, no one comes to the party No one comes to the kingdom. No one experiences the good things of God. Like no one comes to the party unless God has called them. The initiative is always God's. Like our pursuit of God is never because we just decided to pursue God. Like, sometimes we get that sense, like, you know, I I need to get my life in order. I need to straighten some things out. I need to start making some different decisions. I need to start pursuing God. And we get this sense that we started pursuing God at our initiative. But our pursuit of God is never at our initiative, it's always us responding to God's call. But at the same time, the only people who actually show up at the party are the ones who say, yes. God's call the first group weren't at the party because not because they weren't called they weren't at the party because they didn't say yes to the call they were invited they just said no to the invitation and the parable is reminding us that everyone is called but not everyone says yes to the call and that's not just true when it comes to God's call for us to experience his salvation and his forgiveness and eternal life That has to do with all of God's callings on our life. The call to pray, the call to give, the call to invite, the call to mentor, the call to serve, whatever the calling is. The question that Jesus is wanting the hearers of this parable to ask themselves is, is am I saying yes to the call? Am I saying yes to every aspect of the kingdom party that God has invited me to? And as the first group in the parable found out, You cannot reject the call or ignore the call and assume that you can say yes at a later date. They don't get an opportunity to do that. It's kind of like getting invited to a friend's 30th birthday party, right? A big event, like this big event, the invitation goes out, save the day, then an invitation, and it's like, here's where it's gonna be and when it's gonna be, and here's, where it's, it's, uh, here's the restaurant it's gonna be at and the time it's gonna be at and all that. You get all the details for the party. You RSVP, all of that. But if you ignore the invitation, assuming you can just show up whenever you wanna show up, even though it's a month after the party or two months after the party, like that won't work. You'll miss the party. Like the party has already taken place. And the same is true with God's call. Whenever someone who is sensing God's call. Says not now. Maybe later. Not in this season. Like I. I, I sense God's call. I sense the tugging. To make this decision. Or respond in this way. But this doesn't seem to be the right Season And so maybe another time, maybe another season. You're assuming something. And what you're assuming is that the call that you're sensing now, you will sense in the same way a month from now or a year from now. And there is no guarantee of that. It's not that God doesn't continue to call. God is a pursuing God. We talk about that all the time. Like God continues to pursue us. God continues to call us. It's just that you may not hear his call as clearly as you're hearing it right now. Because things change. Sometimes the noise of this world gets so loud that we no longer hear the call of God on our lives. Like some of you are sensing a call of God on your life right now. Some of you are beginning to connect the dots you're beginning to figure some things out put some things together about Jesus and the gospel and you're feeling a tugging in your heart to say yes to God's forgiveness yes to his salvation others of you are sensing like a different kind of call Maybe it's a call to serve in a a different kind of way. Or maybe it's a call to take on a God-sized challenge that scares you to death because you don't feel like you're prepared for it. Or maybe it's a call to sacrifice some things for the kingdom or to make this move or to do this thing. Whatever, it's like this tugging that God has placed on your heart. It's this call of God. Whatever it is, don't ignore the calling like the first group in the parable did. Like, don't assume you'll experience the same calling that you're sensing now a month from now or a year from now. Say yes to God's calling now. Third thing is this God's grace is a garment. Look at verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes, just one person. So, all these people have been brought in from The street corners, from the the town square, from the public square. Good, the bad, the moral, the immoral, the rich, the poor. All these people have been brought in. And of all these people that brought in, there's one guy there who is not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, this is the king. Friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless, which tells us something. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot, throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now this is like a confusing encounter unless you begin to read between the lines because the whole context of the parable is that everyone's invited to the party. Rich, poor, good, bad, moral, immoral, you are invited to God's kingdom party. Everyone is invited to God's kingdom party. It is an inclusive invitation. So the whole point of the parable is about how inclusive the party is. How everyone is invited to the party. But here you have this one person where he's confronted about the clothing. The kind of clothing that he is not wearing. And it's, it's confusing until you begin to read between the lines and figure out what's going on. Now you would think that the guy would have a great excuse for why he's not wearing wedding clothes, right? There's two great excuses he could have given. One, he could have said, I didn't have time to put on expensive wedding clothes because your servants, your servants came out, saw us in the town square, and brought us immediately into this wedding. So I didn't have time to put on wedding garments. Or he could have if he didn't have a lot of resources, which a lot of the people didn't have a lot of resources that came to the wedding banquet. He could have said, you know, I don't have the money to have expensive wedding garments to be at this special banquet. But he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't give any of those excuses. Instead, he just stands there, we're told, speechless. And the reason he's speechless is because obviously... All the other guests that have been brought in have wedding garments on. The whole reason the king goes to only this one person and says, why don't you have any wedding garments on? Because everyone else who is there Already has wedding garments on and all of those people didn't have time to go home and get the wedding garments and many of them were poor so they didn't have the money to have expensive wedding garments so the only way that they could have these expensive beautiful wedding garments if if the king had provided all of them with those garments at his own expense which is obviously what he had done So the reason this guy is not wearing a wedding garment is not because he didn't have time to get a wedding garment. It's not because he didn't have the money to buy a wedding garment. It's because he rejected the wedding garment that the king had provided. Now the point that Jesus is making is that anyone, anyone, anyone can come to the party. Everyone's invited to the party. Regardless of your moral record, regardless of your past, regardless of your religious pedigree, regardless of your religious... Background, your religious upbringing, whatever, everybody, everybody, everybody is invited to the party. You can come as you are, but you cannot stay as you are. That if you want to fully participate in the feast, if you want to fully participate in the party... If you want to truly be at the table enjoying that which the kingdom is all about, that you must be clothed in the wedding garment. The wedding garment represents the righteousness of Christ. It's clear what Jesus is talking about here. And Jesus is saying if you want to experience the fullness of the kingdom, you have to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. If you want to fully participate in the wedding banquet, you must be clothed in the wedding garment. Why? Because grace has a cost. I mean, it's free to us. It's a gift to us. But grace has a cost. That grace and justice are not mutually exclusive. This is the thing that people, when you talk about grace, feel like grace is is cheap Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about this that it is it is free but it is not cheap that grace is costly and that grace and justice are not mutually exclusive that you don't either believe in a god that is a gracious god or you believe in a god who is a god of justice that justice and grace are two sides of the same coin That somebody has to pay the cost for injustice. Somebody has to pay the cost so that everyone can be at the party. Somebody has to pay the cost so that everyone, the good, the bad, the rich, the poor, the moral, the immoral, everyone can come to the party. And grace is God saying, I'll pay the cost on your behalf. I'll purchase the wedding garments so that you can be at the party. And then the fourth thing is this, God's grace fills us, overwhelms us with gratitude. I know this is a little bit of a generalization, but uh, I think on the whole it's true, is that the rich and the poor respond differently to food. And I put all of us, I know that you don't feel like you're rich but we've talked about this before that we live in the we live in the richest country on the face of the planet and one of the richest counties on the face of the planet so compared to the rest of the world like we all fall into that kind of rich category and and the rich and the poor tend to respond differently to food the rich critique their food like that's what we do like, we critique our food. Like, what do you think? Like, we're out to eat. Like, what do you think? And, and, and how do you think this compares to the restaurant we were at last night? And, and, and this isn't as good as... Blank, or this isn't as authentic as blank. Or, or I like this a lot better. Like the rich critique their food. That's just like, that's what we do. But for a person who is poor and in need of food, it's generally a different response. The poor rejoice in every bite. Because food is a gift and they are grateful for it. And one of the things that Jesus is doing in this parable is he's drawing a distinction between the rich in spirit, the first group, and the poor in spirit, the second group. And this is how Jesus describes the poor in spirit just a few chapters earlier in Matthew 5. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, because theirs is the party. Blessed are the poor in spirit, because they will sit at the banquet feast, Blessed are the poor in spirit because they will enjoy the feast. They will enjoy every bite. The rich in spirit say things like this. Why didn't God? Why didn't God do this? Or why didn't God do this in a different way? Or why didn't God respond? More quickly, or this person seems to have experienced more of God's grace than I have, and I feel like I'm living a much better life than they're living. Like that's how the rich in spirit respond. The rich in spirit feel like somehow they deserve God's grace, that it's something that's owed them because of the way they have lived their lives, the choices they have made, the decisions they have made. So they grow upset or they grow bitter over manifestations of God's grace that they think they should have gotten. They grow upset or bitter over manifestations of God's grace that someone else has gotten but they didn't get in the same way. And they miss out on the manifestations of God's grace that they've already received because they're simply not paying attention. But the poor in spirit They rejoice in every bite. The poor in spirit are always filled with gratitude because they see everything as a gift from God. They see their salvation as a gift from God. They see their possessions as a gift from God. They see every good relationship in their life as a gift from God. They see every experience of peace in the midst of the storm. As a gift of God. And that's why they're filled with such gratitude. Because it's all a gift. It's all grace. The reason the landowners and the business leaders in the parable missed out on the feast. Wasn't because they were rich. It was because they were rich in spirit. And that's the point that Jesus is making to the religious leaders. He's saying to them. You are not poor in spirit. You are rich in spirit. You think that you've somehow earned God's favor by the way that you've lived your lives, by the decisions that you've made. You've taken God's grace for granted. And because of that, you are going to miss out on the feast. I'm here to declare a feast, a party. And you're going to miss out because you are rich in spirit that somehow you think you deserve what God is offering to give you. And the question, of course, that we have to ask ourselves is like, am I rich in spirit in this season of life that I'm in or am I poor in spirit? Like, am I critiquing the kingdom feast or am I rejoicing with every bite like is grace changing me or have I somehow come to the point where I am taking grace for granted am I rich In spirit, or am I poor in spirit? God, we confess to you today that sometimes, even after we have said yes to you, that we live our lives rich in spirit, that we begin to critique the kingdom feast that you have set before us that we begin to take for granted the grace that you have extended to us that our hearts are not filled with gratitude that at times bitterness and anger takes control of our lives and we take your grace for granted Lord we confess that today may we be filled with gratitude because of your grace because of the feast that you have set before us because of the party that you have invited us to may we rejoice in every bite of this kingdom feast that you have set before us and walk in gratitude make us poor in spirit In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Let's stand together.